Having car problems? Well, with Rhoda, getting them fixed is as easy as ordering takeout. They'll come pick up your car for free, do any repair or maintenance needed, and return it right to your driveway. They'll even give you a complimentary video inspection of your car so you can see what needs to be done. Perfect for those of us that maybe aren't so car savvy. Book your appointment online at roda.com. And lucky for you, CityCast listeners get a 20% discount on any service for up to $100 off. Just use the code CityCast20. Today on CityCast DC, I'm here with CityCast's Julia Karen and Kayla Cote-Stemmerman, and we are talking about taxpayer money, first for a stadium scoreboard, and then for a boost in food assistance. And in both cases, we're going to talk about what the debate says about where DC stands right now. Plus, pandas, they are leaving, as you may have heard, and we have feelings. Today is Friday, October 6th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. All right, so Julia, DC owns uh, Nats Park, where the baseball team plays. And Nats Park has a scoreboard that is 15 years old. And they want a new one. So what happens now? Yeah. So obviously it is time for an upgrade uh, to that scoreboard. There's also going to be minor upgrades around like the ballpark. That means like including switching some food vendors around, like very basic stuff like that. Uh, The problem with this is that it comes at a cost. Wait, can I stop you for a second? You said obviously it needs an upgrade. Is that obvious? Like in the rest of baseball or the world? Uh, I mean... It is 15 years old, and some of the technology in newer baseball stadiums is a lot better. Better replays, better, like, you can see it from better angles, all that kind of stuff. So 15 years in technology, at least in this case, makes a big difference. Does it, though? I don't mean to be querulous here, you guys, but, like, (laughs) the baseball team is a monopoly. Like, it's not like people are going to be like, well, I don't like that sucky-ass scoreboard. I'm going to drive to Atlanta (laughs) and watch a game. Hypothetically, if you support the Nationals, you could spend a lot of money and like go to Atlanta. You could also shell out for money for the Beltway series in Baltimore. But if you want to watch a home game and you want to be able to see the actual plays and you're in the upper decks uh, and you want your viewing experience to be decent and you can actually see the thing, then yes, a scoreboard update in this case uh, is kind of necessary in order to keep fans in the stands, you know? So, excuse my uh, ignorance here. Sure. <laughs> um, but so the scoreboard is supposed to be not only the scores of the teams, but it's supposed to have like the, you know, like the instant action replays and like stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. So does it have that right now? Like, is it currently functioning in that way? It does function in that way. It is the quality in which it functions. Basically, they want like higher resolutions and stuff. Oh, fancy. Okay. Okay, okay. We we get it. But like the rub is <laughs> the money. Yes? That is correct. Uh, the current estimate is somewhere between 20 and $22 million. That's an expensive TV. Yeah. Wow. That's a very expensive TV. Yeah. Uh, it is. It's a lot. Basically, what's happening is... Events DC, which is the public-private partnership company uh, that maintains the ballpark that DC owns, has said that they're 
footing the bill. Basically, what's going to happen is because DC proper owns the stadium under this entity and then leases it to the Nats, the Nats can't pay for the scoreboard or they don't have to. So Events DC is going to do it. And essentially, because of that and because it's managed by the DC government, we are the ones that are going to have to put up the money. And I assume everyone is super psyched about this because it's just a great investment and they and, and, and universally there's adoration for baseball and an understanding that fans need uh, the most up-to-date possible scoreboard. You know, uh, I don't know. I would prefer that my $20 million in taxes or my portion of that $20 million in taxes maybe goes to something else. But that is what they have decided. They have been arguing about this for a couple of months. There was a recent Washington Post report in June They had discussed using the ballpark revenue fund. This was that special pot of money that was funded from a ballpark tax early on back when they were bringing the team to D.C. Uh, It also taxes sales on Next Park and public utilities and telecom companies to try to pay for the improvements, which would include like a new energy efficient stadium lighting system in addition to just like the new scoreboard and video screens. Uh, So they're trying to jam all this stuff into into one, basically Hopefully what happens is they use the ballpark revenue fund and they don't have to tax us as much. Pretty please. You know, that'd be nice. Wait. So, you know, this is a subset of this argument that we have been talking about on our pod and around town about taxpayers and stadiums. And it's an old argument. It happens everywhere. Uh, We're about to come into a debate about a new stadium for the commanders the Wizards and Capitals have, uh, you know, publicly taken meetings with Virginia about maybe moving there. But what the real goal, I think, is to get uh, taxpayer help in uh, fixing up their arena in Gallery Place. And the debates, you know, it's it's pretty familiar, right? Like mm-hmm. on the one hand, it's, hey, why should we pay money to billionaire owners of teams that pay their athletes uh, hundreds of millions of dollars, et cetera. And on the other hand, it's, hey, these facilities have great uh, impact on economic development and so on. Um, I got to say, the scoreboard thing, it's a little bit weirder to me just because I can't imagine that um, unless the team is going to leave for want of a scoreboard, I'm not really seeing where the benefit to us, the citizens, and those of us who aren't into baseball I can't see where the benefit is. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a really tough argument. Like, I would also say Nats Park isn't just used for the Nationals. I was supposed to see Bruce Springsteen a week ago on Friday. But you didn't go because the stadium scoreboard sucked. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly the reason. No, he has a stomach ulcer or whatever it was, and he's canceled his tour for like the rest of the calendar year. But in that instance, right, it's, it's not just baseball that this would benefit. It would benefit every event, hypothetically, that happens at Nats Park. That would include, like, concerts and, like, when they do the Christmas markets out there. Like, it would hopefully benefit that as well, right? It wouldn't only just be, like, these baseball people who make billions of dollars are the only people benefiting. It's hypothetically, like, yeah, people who want to go see Bruce Springsteen and maybe don't have a great view of the stage can look at a scoreboard and say, hey, I can actually see. Wait, 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 but... Uh... You're telling the benefit here is for people who can afford concert tickets that cost hundreds of dollars. Usually the argument is phrased around like, yes, but all that economic activity will lead to a growth in the tax base and it'll, you know, it'll it'll pay off for people who would never go to a concert. Are they are they making that argument here? I mean, hypothetically, that is is true. I think the other thing to remember is that like Nats Park generally is this weird anomaly in sports stadiums where it's 
somehow like created or changed and gentrified this neighborhood that did not have a ton going on before. And on top of that, like has drawn obviously a ton of new restaurants and stuff there. Every stadium that gets built wants to model itself after Nats Park where they build the stadium and there's all this economic opportunity that goes around it and there's housing and all of this happens. That said, like the money that the government has, would I prefer that they use it on something else? Sure. But if they've got it and they're going to spend it on a scoreboard, I think they're going to just buck up and spend it on the scoreboard, you know? When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. All right, so speaking of money they've got, last year when when, uh, DC was making its budget, there was a big debate about boosting the amount of money for uh, SNAP, which is the benefit uh, formerly known as food stamps, and for other forms of like cash assistance uh, to augment like some of the pandemic assistance that had come out, particularly for groups that were not included in that. Like uh, there's people in like the cash economy, like street vendors, as well as uh, undocumented immigrants. Um, so the way they wound up was, okay, if DC gets more tax revenue in uh, the most fiscal year, 2023, than had been expected at that time, then automatically this boost will happen. And lo and behold, for those of you who didn't notice, the fiscal year ended on September 30th. (laughs) Um, I wasn't invited to the New Year's party. And uh, revenues came in like significantly higher, $178 million higher. Now, the city budget's in the billions, so it's not like that much, but that was unexpected. And so this spending uh, gets triggered. So it'll temporarily boost food assistance by 40 million, as well as 20 million in direct cash assistance to these folks who are locked out of pandemic aid. 20 million, same amount as the scoreboard. That's ironic. I know, right? <laughs> but you know what? what's struck me about it is like for years, for the last, I don't know, 25 years or 30 years since DC went broke in the 1990s, uh, the city government has been like very almost like ostentatiously responsible about its budgeting and, um, you know, saving things for a rainy day and look how prudent we are, et cetera. And it was sort of a, like a preemptive defense against Congress who might criticize them and so on. And that tendency, you know, some people thought it was good and responsible and appropriate. And some people thought it was really stupid, like being incredibly miserly in good times when they didn't need to be in a city that still has a great deal of poverty. But that tendency has really, you know, sort of fallen away. And this is sort of another, you know, data point to that. And, you know, again, people are going to disagree about whether it is like the right and and good and responsible thing to do or whether it is, in fact, uh, reckless because there are 
like as as we've discussed on this pod, there's a lot of like looming dangers out there. There's an estimate that like 25% of DC's office and commercial building space will be vacant by 2026, and that is uh, since since a lot of the way the city makes money is by taxing commercial real estate. That's a really big deal. But the uh, council's going ahead with this, and I, I don't know. It's it's um, what do you think of it? So one thing I think that is interesting about this is that this enhancement in SNAP benefits runs from January to September of 2024. Uh, Christina Henderson said that the next phase will basically be figuring out how to fund a permanent enhancement. Mike, do you have any idea how they would try to go about that to make up that gap? Depending on how you look at it, there's plenty already there because we keep predicting shortfalls and then coming in over budget. Or depending on how you look at it, uh, that's a dangerous and reckless thing to do because we are going to be out of money and uh, back in a very tough situation. And because of D.C.'s unique status, that's going to give the Congress an opportunity to beat up on D.C., meddle with D.C., undo home rule, whatever nightmare scenario you want to imagine. I have to, and I've got to assume, assuming that the Republicans remain in control of Congress, the fact that some of the beneficiaries of this are undocumented immigrants is going to be like a, it's like waving a you know red flag at a bull. I mean, it sounds like a lot, but I mean, in the end, it can't be more than a couple hundred dollars for each person, right? Right. And it, which makes a big difference. And it also can't, mm-hmm. I mean, look, the, the amounts here are like not that different than what it costs to build a scoreboard <laughs> for a major league baseball stadium. So we are talking on one hand, we're talking about like, like fairly puny amounts that may make a big difference to people. But we're you know also talking about something that, that kind of gives an indication of, of how the people who govern the city think about money or have disagree about money. So one thing that is ultra interesting about this is that like we keep predicting these shortfalls for how much money the government's going to have. Like, how does this keep happening? It seems like a kind of unusual mistake for a city to make. Is D.C. like known for being particularly conservative when it comes to this kind of budgeting? Yeah, everybody seems very surprised. You know, I think historically, like post financial crisis of the 90s, yes, they were fairly conservative with budgeting. But I kind of think everybody. Uh, whether it's like your family or your city has been pretty all over the place since pandemic, just because people really didn't know what was going to happen. And people still don't kind of like there's enormous, like these changes that we talk about, about working from home and where people work and, and so on. These are going to have an enormous effect on like the budgets of places that rely on people, you know, renting offices or spending money at lunchtime. And we don't quite know what the effect is going to be. So it could be terrible. It could be like not so bad. I, you know, I think if you're making a budget, it's probably better to assume terrible and then and then be pleasantly surprised. Look, it, uh, you know, I think that this idea of like, if we have a surplus, let's do this and let's do that. That is, you know, in its own way, an indication of, uh, that we're in a political system that's at loggerheads. The mayor has been much more reticent about big investments than some members of the council, at least when the big investments involve uh, social services. Since these are two forces of, of with significant power on both sides, they kind of fix the way to get to, to live to fight another day is to sort of legislate in a way that says, if we have the money, let's do X, Y, and Z, but not let's do it immediately. Speaking of people fleeing D.C. Um, or not, the uh, look, the pandas, which has been like a, you know, almost like a symbol of Washington. They're on like tourist T-shirts. They're on like the logo of the zoo there. There has been pandas in Washington since 1972. And there will not be as of the end of the year. What happened? 
Yeah, so the pandas are leaving. It's pretty tragic. Um, they're leaving in December. Uh, right now, you know, the three pandas that the zoo has are still out there doing their thing. You can see them, but they will be leaving um, back to China um, in December. So they arrived, like you said, at the zoo in, in 72, uh, and it was sort of a diplomatic gesture at the time um, in the Nixon era. And they've really become DC's like biggest celebrities. Like everybody swarmed to see these pandas. Like they were the biggest attraction the zoo had ever had. Unfortunately, those original pandas did pass away. And in 2000, we got some new pandas, um, the ones that we currently have, Mei Xiang and Tian Tian. And this time, instead of being a gift, they were on loan, and we actually had to pay quite a bit of money for them. Um, they had four cubs, all of which returned to China, except for Xiao Titi, which is the, the cub um, there now. And as per the original agreement, the pandas have to return to China. So they've sort of extended this lease on them several times, uh, but this time they decided not to extend the lease. Uh, and they're they're not ours anymore. Yeah. I feel like only one person would be happy that the pandas are leaving. And that would be our CEO, uh, David Plotz, who had mentioned in one of our live tapings that he thinks the pandas are kind of a farce. You can you can listen to him explain himself here. The thing that I hate most about the zoo <laughs> is really the pandas. And I feel that it's an embarrassment for Washington that we are so obsessed with these pandas. I mean, A, the whole thing has become this real scam of the Chinese government where they are getting U.S. zoos to pay extraordinary sums to basically do outsource their eugenic breeding program uh, to us and we pay for we pay to do it. Um, but the pandas themselves are such a disappointment. I have been to that zoo just hundreds of times over my life, including as a kid. I, w I came to Washington when right as Xing Xing and Ling Ling came. We like came to Washington together. We grew up together. <laughs> Unlike them, I successfully bred. I was able to manage that because like I'm a human being and I have a motivation to breed. Pandas have no motivation to actually breed. They just they just laze around. They they are just unpleasant. They have incredibly good PR because they're they're charismatic. They're beautiful. They've got this this cool like we're black and white. We've got a cool look thing going on. But it's just um, it's just ridiculous the way we anthropomorphize them and attribute goodwill and grace and niceness to these animals, which are which are just lumps. And I feel it's embarrassing that we get and the Washington Post gets so excited about it. And we Washingtonians get so excited about the panda. David is perhaps Washington's leading uh, panda phobe. Um, <laughs> and he makes a couple of good points. And I, you know, as a child of D.C. in the 70s and 80s, like you just you slept to that zoo and that was all like the, the end of the day was all uphill and it was hot and you had to wait a long time for the pandas. And then usually they would just be sitting around and they weren't very nice to each other even. Um, what, what I have, I wrote actually wrote my column in Politico about that. Uh, about the, the pandas and the politics of the pandas this week. And I, you know, I thought of it as like a great big metaphor uh, where the first pandas were like a goodwill gesture. It was great. It was, we're friends with the Chinese now. Uh, we're, you know, it's the Cold War. They're our, you know, ally against our mutual foe. The government of China had called it panda diplomacy. They used this endangered species. They would give them as gifts to favored countries. And then by the time these pandas who, you know, couldn't breed and weren't, 
very nice to each other or to the zoo. Uh, but by the time they died, and, and it was viewed as a, I mean, it was like the front page of the Post back when the front page mattered, and and it was you know sort of a, a civic mourning. Um, by that point, China was a rich and powerful, you know, emerging behemoth, and they were like, actually, no, this is not about like giving gifts to friends we're trying to cultivate anymore. This is like cash on the barrel head, a financial transaction, and it was like steep terms. It was ten million bucks for ten years for the two pandas, or half the price of a stadium scoreboard. Have a scoreboard. <laughs> And any uh, cub that they managed to have remained property of the Chinese uh, Wildlife Association. And they, they successfully had a few cubs. Some of them have already been sent back. And now this lease is ending after being sort of extended. And it's, it's, it's at a time when, like, relations are pretty rocky. And there's this, particularly on the populist right, uh, this great anti-China sentiment. And there was like a bill in Congress that was like, pandas born in the U.S. shouldn't be sent back to China where they won't be free. That's right, because they have birthright citizenship by being born on U.S. soil, right? Which is also, but also they're in cages here in the U.S. <laughs> so exactly. Silly. It's like a giant wildlife reserve over there. Exactly. And they're like literally in a cage. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's like as it, it in the in Washington culture, though, they have been this enormous deal, even as, you know, the Chinese program uh, led to be, there being pandas and other American zoos. They weren't like unique anymore. And now I think we got to figure out a new uh, favorite zoo animal. And I'm I'm stumped. What about you all? Yeah, it's tough. They did say that they're working on bringing some pandas back to the zoo, but it's all very vague and nothing's concrete. So I think it is it is a smart idea to choose your new favorite animal. There have been quite a few cubs uh, lately. There's been this like this baby lowland gorilla um, that's very cute. There's actually a, um, a voting going on right now to vote for DC's next zoo obsession. I think I might vote for the naked mole rats myself. That's <laughs> <laughs> a personal obsession. But what about you guys? I got to vote for the red panda. Ever since it escaped and just ran around Adams Morgan. They are cute. That was like my favorite. You had one job of all time when the, <laughs> when the animal <laughs> escaped. Exactly, right? Like, what represents DC more than an animal breaking free of its cage just trying to go party at Adams Morgan, you know? You know, I was reading a lot about the pandas and how they got here. Um, the U.S. gave a, like, reciprocal gift when Joe and Lai uh, presented the Nixons with the pandas. That gift was a pair of musk oxen. Somehow were, like, less popular in China than the pandas were here. Can you imagine? Somehow. That's crazy. What? And then I was reading that, like, in 1975, the U.S. Uh, envoy to China who was uh, future President George H.W. Bush, is visiting the zoo in uh, what was then called Peking. And he's like, hey, guys, where are those musk oxen anyway? <laughs> and oh, no. it was kind of awkward and no one um, answered. Uh, and it turned out that one of them had actually uh, died. But not, like, not only was there no like public mourning in uh, Beijing, the way there was here when, um, when Sing Sing and Ling Ling died, um, uh, but uh, apparently they hadn't even told anybody. So maybe... We could, um, I don't even know if there are musk oxen in the zoo, but um, next time I go there, I'm going to visit and see. I don't even know what a musk oxen looks like, if I'm being <laughs> entirely honest. <laughs> I have to look it up right now. I mean, maybe this is the secret reason for these, uh, for the, the, the new panda lease falling through, which is that they're still pissed that we gave them like an uncool animal. <laughs> oh, no, these are cool. These are huge. Wait, okay. 
Wow. Okay, so they're like an enormous bison-looking thing that's very hairy and like a thousand pounds. That's pretty impressive. I mean, maybe not a panda, but it's cool. All right, I'll meet you at the cage. <laughs> All right, thank you, Julia and Kayla. It's awesome to have you here. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Mike. We are off Monday. It's a long weekend. I hope you guys have a great one. Will do. I'm flying to Germany, so peace out, y'all. And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilve. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Susanna Brown. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, you will love our newsletter too, which is written by Kayla, who is on the show today. Subscribe at dc.citycast.fm and make Kayla happy. We'll be back Tuesday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.